we are starting today a journey through the book of Luke. And Luke, if you're not familiar with it, is a, a, one of the Gospels, one of the accounts of the life of Jesus. And it was written by a young friend and follower of Jesus named Luke, obviously. Okay, He was also a physician. And right off the bat, he tells us why he's writing this book. He says this, so that you might know with certainty the things you have been taught. So he's writing to us to strengthen us and encourage us in our walk with Jesus, in our faith. And today I want to focus on two wow statements that are made that he records right off the bat in the first chapter of Luke. One is made by an older lady named Elizabeth, and one is made by an angel named Gabriel. I want to start with number one, and it's by Elizabeth. And this, this wow statement actually has to do with the removal of shame from our lives. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 25. The Lord has done this for me. And this is Elizabeth talking. In these days he has shown his favor and he has taken away my disgrace, my shame from among the people. When I last spoke, it was during the Christmas season. And you might recall that I mentioned that this Elizabeth lady and her husband Zachariah were elderly people. They were advanced in years and they'd never had children. And this would have been an incredibly sad and tragic thing in that time and culture. They would have been viewed as people whose lives were empty, as people who were forgotten by God. They would have believed there was something fundamentally wrong with them. They were great people, but that's what they would have believed because that was the common belief in the culture. So this, not having children, would have been a cause of great shame for them. Great shame. And when... When she makes this statement, she just found out that she was going to become pregnant. Now, when I think of shame, my junior high ministry mind from 23 years of being warped and working with youth groups often thinks of dog shaming, right? You've seen those pictures of people shaming their dog on the internet? I found a couple that I liked, like this dog. It says, I fart so loudly, I wake myself up, okay? (laughs) It's got a little sign around him. He looks ashamed, doesn't he? Poor dog. Okay, and then I found another one that I liked. This one says, I jumped into a stranger's car and stole a hamburger from someone's hands. <laughs> Look at his face, okay? That's what I think of when I hear the word shame. I can't help it, all right? But actually, this should be called dog guilting because there's a big difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, I did something wrong. That's what guilt is. That's what was happening with the dogs. Shame is, I am wrong. I'm wrong at my core. That's what Elizabeth was experiencing here. And later on in the book of Luke, in chapter 13, there's this stunning example of the damage shame can do in a person's life. It's like a, it's like a walking, talking, show-and-tell project of how difficult and damaging shame is. And I want to read three verses about a woman that was suffering shame out of Luke chapter 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said this to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity, or you're healed. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. This is an amazing story here. This woman's body was a wreck, okay? Can you imagine the shame that was in her life? Because most of the people around her would have believed at the time that her physical ailment 
was because of some past sin in her life. They had this belief that bad things happened because you were bad or you did something bad. She probably believed that about herself. So now she's living out her days identifying people by their feet because she's so hunched over instead of by their face. Probably feeling like half a person. Even the scripture says she was identified by her pain, not her name anymore. She was a vivid example of what shame does to people. It hunches them over. And oftentimes, like it did for her, shame starts with our bodies. She had a physical condition. She felt ashamed of her body being hunched over. We often experience shame, first of all, through our bodies. We're told all kinds of lies about our bodies. We're told they're too tall. We're told they're too short. We're told they're too wide. We're told they're too narrow. All kinds of stuff. And we feel shame. We carry around shame because of our view of our bodies. Other times, shame enters into our life by what we hear about our own worth. I was reading about this family. They were desperately trying to find a church, a faith community they could be involved in, and they lived in the Midwest, and they finally found one they thought was good, but it turned out to be just totally crappy place. Sorry, but it's true. Because this is what happened to them. They were living below the poverty line, but they had this amazing opportunity through this unique loan to actually purchase a house for, for their family. They were so excited. But the problem is there's a bunch of repairs that needed to be made in order for it to pass inspection. And the inspection was early on a Monday morning. So they, they had to do the repairs themselves. So they worked feverishly all week, skipped church on Sunday even, so that they could do this. And they were leaders of different groups in the church too by this time. But they skipped church on Sunday so they could pass the inspection and get this house. When the church leaders found out that they skipped church and worked on a Sabbath, they called them into an office for what they called a stoning service. Stoning is the Old Testament um, practice of throwing rocks at people who have done something wrong until they die. Lovely kumbaya kind of moment, okay? So they called them in, and they didn't throw rocks at them until they died, okay? That's not what happened, but they killed them in a different way. They looked at this family and said, because you broke our rules, we do not believe on ever working on the Sabbath, because you broke our rules, you are no longer allowed to come to this church. They kicked them out of the church. They said, you have no place with us. You have no worth to us. Can you imagine the shame this family felt? Uh, people they respected, admired, and looked up to, leaders in their life had done this to them. They would have been crushed. And by the way, if Jesus was walking the earth at this time, you know what he'd do? He'd put on a tool belt and help the family, and he'd skip church himself. I think he skipped church a lot. Not today, though, okay? So, whenever and however shame enters into our life, we usually respond in the same way. We curl up on ourselves. We don't want to look people in the face. We want to just disappear. We not, might not be hunched over physically like this lady, but we're hunched over on the inside. The weight of shame does that to us. When Jesus healed this woman, notice that he placed his hands on her and she was healed. But the word healed there, it actually means to be released from bondage or released from prison. Because shame isn't something you're so much healed from as much as it is something you're set free from. So that's what happened in this woman. And as soon as she was set free, she stood up straight and praised God. And I'm imagining that's exactly what Elizabeth did back in chapter 1. As soon as she was healed and reset free from her shame, I just imagine her standing up straight. I imagine that for years she was kind of semi-hunched over. 
because she believed wrong things about herself. Believed she was forgotten by God. Believed there was something fundamentally wrong with her. So her prison break moment was this miraculous pregnancy. Her being told that she was going to become pregnant wasn't just a cool event. It was like a jailbreak because that was the moment that she was set free from her shame. You know, many of us are hunched over today, I believe. The way to shame is causing us to curl up on ourselves. Maybe you've believed some lie about your body. Maybe you've believed some lie about your worth. Maybe you think there's something fundamentally wrong with you. The freedom from shame comes the moment we stop listening to lying, critical voices and actually start hearing the voice of God. Notice in Luke 13, Jesus said to this woman who was hunched over, he said, woman, you are set free. Now that term woman was not a derogatory term like it is nowadays, like woman, fetch me a beer. Okay, it wasn't anything like that. It was actually a very polite way to address somebody. It was a term of endearment. It would be like Jesus was looking at her and saying, oh, sweet lady, sweet lady, you're made well. You're set free. It was the kind words of Jesus that brought healing to this woman. Please know that he still does that. Please hear the truth from God today. You might have done something wrong recently. Take a number on that. Most of us have sinned in the last couple of days. Most of us have sinned in the last couple of minutes, okay? We've all done things that are wrong, but it doesn't mean we are wrong. You have the Imago Dei. You have the very image of God. You were created in the likeness of God. You have beauty and, and beauty and dignity at your very core. So stand up straight today in the beauty and dignity you were created in. Okay? Because if you curl up in shame, you're not just hurting yourself. You're actually hurting all of us. Because you have gifts and talents and abilities that God has deposited in your life. And when you curl up in shame, we are robbed, the people around you are robbed of experiencing your gifts and abilities and talents. And we're all the poorer for it. The party's not complete without you. We need what is inside of you. That's what needs to happen. So stand up straight in the dignity and the beauty and the image of likeness of God that you were created in. And by the way, oftentimes shame enters through relationships. Somebody you have a relationship with says something to you and causes you shame. But one of the reasons we do church is because God tends to use the people around us to also speak those kind and loving words that heal us and set us free from shame. So we come together as a church. We don't just do church online. We come together so we can be healed of shame. So yay, church. Okay? Second statement, second wild statement. This is made by an angel, Gabriel. This is found in Luke chapter 128. I want to read this for us. The angel went to her, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This is a wow statement, and it's in two parts I'm going to break it into. First of all, you are highly favored. And second of all, the Lord is with you. Start with highly favored. You know, I want to give you some background. The name Mary, which is who Gabriel is talking to here, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a common name at the time. There are so many Marys running around in the Bible at this time. There is Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the sister of Martha, Mary Magdalene. There's even one Mary that the Bible, all it says about her, all we're told is she's called the other Mary. What a bummer. Can you imagine going home and telling your parents, I made the Bible. And they go, oh, great, is there a story about you somehow? And they go, no, I'm just the other Mary. 
like the other Tim. What a bummer. What a letdown, okay? But there's all these Marys. So this Mary, the mother of Jesus, had a common name, and she would have believed herself to be a common person. She wasn't rich, hadn't performed any miracles, probably only 14 or 15 at the time, hadn't done any heroic deeds. She was just common, ordinary Mary. So when this angel walks up to her and says, Mary, you are highly favored of God, she was probably thinking, what? Me? I'm a teenager. What? And I'm going to be pregnant? What? No, maybe you got the wrong Mary. Maybe it's the other Mary. Okay? Maybe it's the other Mary. It can't be me. I'm just ordinary Mary. That's who I am. And we often think like that, don't we? We're told by preachers and people like me and through reading the Bible that God wants to do amazing things in us and through us. And our first thought is usually, really? God wants to do something through me that'll heal people? That'll help people? That'll move things forward in the world? Are you kidding me? God wants to work through me, unremarkable me? Well, the answer to that question is, yeah, he does. He often likes to work through ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I think he likes to look at the surprised look on our faces, okay? But let me first talk about this, this phrase, highly favored. It is actually this really long Greek word that I'll put up on the board. It's kaharatomene. That's what highly favored. That's the Greek word for being highly favored. Kaharatomene is a passive word. It means something is happening to Mary. It's not about what Mary's doing. It's about what God is doing, because it's always about what God is doing. And it's also a word that's in the distant past tense. All this to say, if this angel came and spoke to Mary in modern-day lingo, you are highly favored, he would say something like this, Mary, you have been deeply loved by God for a very, very long time. That's what he's saying. How cool is that? Would you not want to hear that? Would you not want to hear it from an angel? You have been deeply loved by God for a very long time. I heard this um, radio announcer, a sports cast announcer the other day, some caller called in and just was gushing these compliments on the sportscaster. It was to the embarrassing stage. And then the caller hung up and the sportscaster goes, you know, I should have I stopped him, shouldn't I? But he goes, but it felt so good to hear all those nice things about myself. That's probably what Mary was feeling right then. At that moment, I think her soul finally felt its worth and its significance, okay? Um, this moment was when she found her worth, and because she knew she was this loved, she went on to say yes to what God had for her. This is so gutsy. Here she is, a teenage, unwed mother, mother-to-be, and she was saying yes to this life that God had for her. She was saying yes to the scandal and ridicule in their culture of being an unwed teenage mother. She was saying yes to the hardship she was going to endure as she walked around and told people, hey, my kid is actually God's son. You imagine that didn't go over too well for some people, okay? But she said yes to these things. She had so much courage. She wasn't saying, well, if I do these things, God will love me. She was saying, God loves me, so I'm going to do this thing. It reminds me so much um, of, of the songs that are played on like half times or in the breaks at sporting events. Go to any stadium or any basketball court or anything, and you'll always hear these songs played over the PA. Um, they're trying to get people pumped up. They're even trying to get the teams pumped up. And it's usually 
some sort of heavy metal song by ACDC or Wolf Mother or Metallica, something that makes your sternum shake. And it's pretty effective most of the time. But for us to get excited about following Jesus and all that he has for us, we do not need to listen to the song of ACDC or Metallica or some other heavy metal group. We need to hear God speaking the same words to us that he spoke to Mary, because I believe he is. I believe he's speaking to us and saying, listen, you're highly favored. You have been deeply loved by God for a very long time. And when you hear God speak that to your spirit, let your soul feel its worth in that moment. And then go on and act in the courage that will invoke. The courage that will give you the strength and the gumption to do anything that God has dreamed up for you in that moment. All right? Second part of this phrase that's so wow to me is the angel says, the Lord is with you. You know, I go into Starbucks almost every day. I'm sorry, honey. I told you I was trying to cut down, but I really haven't. <laughs> okay. Pretty much every day I go to Starbucks, usually through the drive-up, and I order my, my decaf skinny vanilla latte. Such a sissy drink, I know, but I just really like it. And after every time I order it, they say the same the same thing every time, no matter what Starbucks I'm at. After I order my vanilla latte, they always say, well, what else can I get for you? They always want to sell me something else. It's a strategy. I get it, okay? And I don't buy it. I just go, that's it. That's all I want. But every once in a while, I'm tempted to say, well, what else do I want? Hmm. I want a plane ticket to someplace warm. That's what I want. Or I want a hug. When I come up to the window, you have to hug me, okay? <laughs> or I know what I want. You know what I want? I want the assurance that God is with me because it was a difficult week and I'm feeling kind of numb. So that's what I'll take. I'll take the assurance God is with me and a hug and my vanilla latte and a piece of pumpkin bread, okay? Because that stuff's awesome too, okay? That's what I want to say sometimes. This statement the Lord is with you, I believe it was Gabriel's way to say, Mary, things are going to get ugly. And they did. As soon as she gave birth to Jesus, this crazy tyrant Herod went around and tried to murder her son. That's like the definition of a bad week, isn't it? Somebody trying to kill your kid? Okay? So it was Gabriel's way to say, Mary, things are going to get ugly. Things are going to get incredibly difficult in your life. Your circumstances are going to scream at you, you are all alone in this. Don't believe your circumstances. Believe what I'm saying to you right now. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. It reminds me of Psalm 23, which you usually just hear at funerals, and that's a shame because it's this great chapter in the Bible. And King David says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with me. You know when you watch the movies, the, the bad places to be always have these dark, ominous titles like the pit of misery or the dungeon of despair or dead man's gulch or the forbidden forest or things like that well here's david and he's talking about walking through so going slowly walking through the valley of the shadow of death now that's no vacation spot right there and yet he knows he's going to make it through this difficulty because god is with him he knew what mary knew i hope we all do now when i say the Lord is with you, because that's what I'm telling you today. God is with you, just like he was for Mary. I'm not saying that the Lord is in kind of close proximity, that you could get a hold of him, and he could be there in a short while if you're in trouble. 
No, I'm saying that He's way closer to you than you could ever even imagine. He's way closer. In Matthew 25, Jesus looks at a group of people and He tells them, hey, whatever you've done for the least of these, these people that are suffering or struggling in some way, whatever you've done for them, you've done to Me. Do you get that? Get what a radical statement that is? Jesus is telling us that I am so close to people that I share their experiences. I am so close to people that I actually feel what they feel. God is completely intertwined with us. So this is how close He is to us. It means He is with us when we're walking down the aisle to get married. He is with us when we hold and look at our child for the first time. He is with us when we're at the stadium and our team mounts a comeback and they actually win the game and we're so excited we start to dance. He's with us. He's laughing at us, but he's with us in this moment. But he's also with the people he loves when their bodies lie broken under the, the crumbling of a building that fell during a, like an earthquake. He's with us when you're in having to lie still in that scary, loud MRI machine that some of you have had to do. He's with the people he loves when they stand and have to face horrible slurs or abuse that's targeted at them. God is with us in every joyous moment and every depressing, horrible, dark moment. I don't know if you've ever had the experience I have when I was driving through Wyoming one time of being in a place where there's a lightning storm. And I'm not talking Oregon lightning storms. We have lightning, and it's like, ooh, lightning, fun. Okay, I'm talking flashes everywhere and booms, and you're scared out of your wits. I can still remember in Wyoming, there was literally lightning all around us. I felt surrounded by it, and it was so loud. And I got outside. We pulled over because I didn't want to be in a metal vehicle, but I forgot about the whole rubber tire thing, whatever. But, but I got outside, and I wanted to look closer, and the air was so charged with electricity, my hair started, like, getting static electricity, and your hair on your neck stands up. It's really kind of terrifying and cool at the same time. But just like the air is charged with electricity during a lightning storm, the truth of the matter is this. Our lives are charged with the presence of God. There's nowhere we can go, not that we want to, to get away from Him. No wonder in the Bible, the word for breath and spirit is the same word in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's because it's God's way of reminding us, of looking at us and saying, I am with you. I'm as close as the next breath you're going to take. I'm in you. I'm through you. I'm around you. I'm over you. I'm before you. I'm behind you. I am intertwined with your life, just like I was for Mary. What a good thing to know. I don't know about you. I went through the worst week, like a week and a half ago. First, I had the plague, you know, that plague that's going around that makes you just want to lay down for 10 days. Then I got over that and had all these difficulties I was, I was dealing with. And you know what got me through? One of the things that helped me the most was looking at a painting of Rembrandt. And it was Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. you got to look at it. And it's this prodigal son that screwed up his life and ran back to his father. And his father is holding him. I'll show you a picture of it someday. And one of his hands is, is a man's hand. You can tell it's a strong, grizzled hand. And the other is a female. You're going, 
Rembrandt screwed up the painting. What is wrong with him? And you're thinking he screwed it up. Why did he paint a girl's hand on the father? And then it dawns on you because this, this represented the strength of God and also the nurturing and loving and acceptance and presence of the mothering of God. The mothering and the fathering of God all together. And what got me through my tough time wasn't having all the answers for my difficulties. It was knowing that that God, that God that adores me and holds me and loves me is with me. Yeah, that's what gets you through. Let me pray for us, can we? Lord, some of us are hunched over today. Shame, the weight of it, has made us curl up on ourselves, Lord. Could you speak the truth to us today? Could you speak your kind words either directly to our spirit or through other people around us, Lord, that set us free? We've all done things that are wrong, okay? We all have that in common, Lord. But help us to never believe that we are wrong at our core because we're not. And Lord, we are highly favored. We have been deeply loved by you for a long, long time. Help us to go out into the world in the courage that that invokes in us, Lord, and say yes to any bright and beautiful and chances are scary and difficult thing that you have in store for us. And God, you're with us always. No matter what our circumstances scream at us, Lord, our lives are charged with your presence. Awaken us to that reality today. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you for the book of Luke and all that you're going to do in our lives because of the truth that's found.